honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today's episode. I'm super excited about today's guest. We have Sarah Hauer, who's a reporter at the Journal Sentinel, an incredible, incredible storyteller. And I'm super excited to dive into what she's doing, what makes a good story, and what's coming next for this city. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the Urban Misfit Show. I'm super, super excited about today's guest. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Q. I'm geeked. So normally I will do like a crazy, awesome intro, but you are a writer and you're a storyteller. So I want to just tell our listeners and our viewers, who are you? What do you do? I'm Sarah Hauer. I'm a reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and I have a dog named Nala. <laughs> That's my big selling point. Uh, but I'm, I do a lot more than just hang out with my dog. I also drink beer with my dog. Uh, like the dog drinks beer too? Or? The dog drinks beer too. Ooh, mine too. He loves it. Probably shouldn't say on a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Unless it's barrel aged, she likes it. Um, and yeah. You can give me more than that. More than that. Reporters are so modest. We are. We're not used to being the story at all, which is such a weird time to be in when reporters are being asked to be more of a personality than we want to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, I write a newsletter called VMKE who we are, where we go, what we need to know. I'm from Minnesota. Me too. Awesome. Um, I'd love to, like you read a lot about Milwaukee one, but you write a lot about business and startups. Why is that? And do you think it's important to have a niche as a writer, as a creator? Is it important to have a niche? Absolutely. You have to be able to, in a newsroom in particular, but pretty much anywhere, have a slice to your work where people can identify something and say, like, this is a Sarah Howard story, right? When something comes across someone's desk to have it be, oh, we should send Sarah out on this versus being a little bit too much all over the board, which I write about many things and there's not a super huge rhyme or reason to what I do. It's always through a business lens because I'm on the business desk at the Journal Sentinel. But I'm totally industry agnostic. Typically, I write about smaller companies that are up and coming or trends in business or trends in the workplace. But sometimes it's just stuff that I think is interesting, right? Like one thing that came across an editor's desk that ended up getting sent to me because they thought this could be a Sarah Howard story <laughs> was turns out that the, I think it's the second largest wristband, like the wristbands that you get at Summerfest and whatnot. Yeah. The second largest wristband manufacturer in the world is right here. Right? See, I didn't know that. That's awesome. And so that was just like a quirky, weird story that someone sent to us. And because I go along that, like... Because you're quirky and you're weird. <laughs> because I'm kind of weird myself. People are like, okay, I think Sarah should do that one. That's really cool. How did you go about defining that niche? What advice would you give to someone that maybe doesn't know what that niche is for them? Or niche, I just found out that's the actual way to pronounce it. In some ways, I would say my role 
is still so undefined, right? I've been on the business desk for about a year and a half-ish or so. Before that, I was doing art, and before that, I was helping out with long-term projects and doing other things. So I'm still really defining what that niche is, but it's really about trying to follow curiosities. That's why I like being a reporter, is because if I get curious about something, I can find a way to incorporate that into my work. It doesn't have to be this side thing that I'm up to, right? So one example is this summer, maybe was it? I had been reading all about the rise of democratic socialists of America Mm -hmm. and how these groups were just exploding across the country. I kept seeing articles about the rise in membership and how so many more young people in particular were joining the group. And, you know, my parents would be absolutely appalled that anyone would be able to, like, call themselves a socialist, right? And so I was fascinated by this change in in thought. And so even though that sounds like a politics story, right, I looked at it from, like, a little bit more of an economic lens and made it into a little bit of a business story. So there's always a way to yeah. meld things that you're interested in into a story that you can do. That's fascinating. Do you think that... Do you think that we need to have that curiosity, that that passion when it comes to what we do in work, in the workplace? Oh, absolutely. If you, I would say like the second that you're not curious and you're not learning, like that's when you need to retire. That's when you need to be done because otherwise, like, what are you doing? And I'm someone who's just like, I, I have so many curiosities and I'm always wondering about the world and I want to know how it works and why and what other people think about it and how it all ends up melding together, right? Um, that at times when I meet people and I don't understand what they're interested in and what drives them and, you know, I ask so what have you read lately that was really interesting to you? Or what did you learn lately that was interesting to you? And you didn't, they don't have a response. I, I struggle to interact, which is, yeah, I don't know if that's a fault same. on my part or. <laughs> it's because you love what you do. And that, like, that is actually rare. I mean, it feels like it's rare sometimes, like maybe not in my circle because like I hang out with a bunch of entrepreneurs, but like in the grand scheme of things, I feel like that is kind of rare, at least in the workplace. Like, <laughs> it is it is different, right? Like I'm you and I are both in workplaces where people find real purpose in yeah. what they're up to. And that's so much different than so many peers of mine who have jobs that are jobs. And they don't really want to talk about it after work. But then I would say it's even more in particular important to have then passions outside of work. I think everyone should have interests and passions outside of their job to make you a you know, well-rounded human. But in particular, if if your job isn't driving a passion, you need to have something else to fill that. Yeah, I agree. Why did you become a reporter? Like, were you always a writer? Were you always a storyteller? Like, why? Outside of curiosity. I have always felt that I could better express myself in writing than many other ways, right? Um, Like, I can't draw. (laughs) (laughs) Um, or have any sort of artistic ability. Um, 
but I writing always, is an art. What writing is definitely an art. Writing is an art. Uh, but I always felt really good processing things through writing, and thought that I could work out ideas a lot better that way, and really think on things like that. And I liked telling stories. I liked. In some ways, I did like, especially as a child, having the attention on me so I could tell a story. Yeah. Right? Um, It's not always what I thought I was going to do. When I first started thinking about a career path, I thought, oh, I'm really interested in government and civic engagement. Maybe I want to go into government work or something along those lines. Right? But then I took my first journalism class in high school and... It was super inspiring, right? You watch All the President's Men as like your introduction to journalism. And that just shows the power of the press and the need for an independent press to have a well-functioning democracy, right? And hold the ability to hold power accountable is amazing, right? And it's so necessary and vital, Um And so you see that and you're like, wow, this is cool. I want to do that. And so I started looking at journalism programs, ended up coming to Marquette, staying at Marquette, and the Journal Sentinel hired me and kept me interested. (laughs) So what I often say is that like, and I've heard this from a couple other reporters too, is like you thought everything else kind of sucked. Like you couldn't do anything else. Like I really, I struggle with, identifying what I could do outside of journalism because I think about other jobs that just maybe have too much BS in them that I wouldn't be able to handle. Right. No, no, I resonate with that. Like maybe not industry specific for me, but like, I can't imagine just honestly having a job. I've kind of worked myself back into having a job, but like it's, it's mine and I can't imagine not being in control of that anymore. So I get that. I resonate with that. Um, in terms of like writers are my favorite people, like legit my favorite people. I was always a writer. I don't know, like you guys, we, I'm a writer too. We think um, differently and a writer can do many things. I don't think that everyone can be a good writer though. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to know though, is like when I look at like all the videos that I shoot or even when I'm writing, like I get in the state of flow and I'll just start talking and connecting things. Um, and I, I know writers, it's, it's the same thing for you guys. What's going through your mind when you're writing a story? Often when I sit down to write, I've already written it in my head. Mm. Right. Um, because as I'm reporting, I would say I get much more of like a reporter's high than I do like a writer's yeah. Hi, often I like, there's like some mantra out there where it's like, I like the feeling of having written. I don't like writing. (laughs) That's awesome. And I totally, that speaks to me, right? I like having written, but what I really like is reporting. And as I'm doing my interviews and talking to people, the entire time the wheels are turning in my head of how, how is this going to be the story, Right. And so I'll put in my notebook sometimes when people will say something and I'm like, that's the lead. That's the first sentence. That's the headline of the story, right? Like when I did a week or two ago, I forget how long, um, was about 
two brothers in Milwaukee, Q and Khalif Alameen. And when I'm interviewing them about this entrepreneurship um, program that they're running, and I ask how this all began, and Khalif tells me that it kind of goes back to his 25th birthday party. I heard that story, yeah. Right? And so to me, that was so obvious that I was like, oh, that has to be the, the lead. Like, it started with a party. That's how the story began. Because partially that is how the story began. It was like, <laughs> it started with a party. And sometimes, you know, you look for things for so long, like, oh, how am I going to get into this story? And sometimes it's really yeah. just start at the beginning. That's fascinating. I've never actually heard that. And I might do that, like, when it comes to video, like, planning it before. But I've never, I've never actually heard that. That's awesome. What would you say makes a good story? I know a there's a lot of things. middle, and end. <laughs> But actually, that's what makes a good story, right? Just like how a good children's book has, like, very distinctive parts, right? A good journalistic story has that, too. Not every, like, quick hit news item that's nine sentences is going to have a distinctive beginning, middle, and end, right? But if you're working on something that has a little bit more artistic value to it or that you've spent a little bit more time on and it's really a piece of writing, not just getting out the news, having a beginning, a middle and an end and like thinking about it that way in your head makes it so much better. Cause sometimes you get into a story and then all of a sudden you're writing and you're writing and you're writing and you can just keep writing. You're like, how do I get out of this? And so you have to, figure out how is this, how am I going to end this? How am I going to get out? So ahead of time, if you kind of think what's, what's the beginning, what's the middle and the end. And that doesn't always mean chronologically either. Right. Sometimes you might start with the end and then tell about the beginning and the middle. How do you know it's crucial to that story? Like, what do you leave out? What do you leave in? What do you? Telling details are so important, right? Because that's like what makes or breaks the story is Mm -hmm. if you have those telling details, right? Like if someone interviewed you and didn't write about your hat, (laughs) that's like a telling detail that says something about you. Your glasses say something about you, right? The fact that you have a t-shirt on with your company name on it, that says something about you. Those are all telling details, right? There's extraneous things too though that get jumbled up into the mix and so it's all about does this detail advance the story or not because sometimes you get a really good anecdote or there's just something kind of weird that you would love to include in the story but you can't because it's not a telling detail I took a creative like fiction writing class in college And that was one of the points that was so hammered home in that was focusing on what's a telling detail and what can be omitted and not be missed. Because the telling details are what stories that you love so much, that's what makes them, right? And that's what drives character development. And, you know, I'm not J.K. Rowling, right? But she did such a good job with Ron and Hermione and Harry of developing those characters and making you understand how they work and how they tick. And that's all through these telling details. 
That is incredible. And I agree. I agree. Definitely focus on those things. Um, I was a, I was a musician like back in the day. And what like, did you do? Uh, singer songwriter. So guitar and like I, I sang, um, and I like, I would write these songs sometimes and I'm like, damn, like that's, that's an awesome like hook or something like that, but it wouldn't fit with the rest of the song. So just writing those things down and having them just in case you need them later is everything is not crucial to that song. And I would say the same thing for, for any story. So I dig that. Um, in terms of like, another thing that I love, like I tell stories for a living, right? I, I do a bunch of videos, but I often refer to like video games or tech or things that have nothing to do with my industry. What are some things outside of journalism or reporting that you that are that make you a better reporter? What are things outside of journalism? outside of your industry that help you within your industry? I would say this is problematic because I kind of consider everything within my industry, mm. right? Because I can wake up any morning and depending on the news, anything can become part of my job. Yeah. Right? Um, but I would say being like being a full person, which like sounds so weird probably, but not just being reporter Sarah all the time, right? Like the reporter in me is always ticking or whatever, but to spend time with people outside of the newsroom who don't work in my industry and learning what they're talking about, because otherwise you get the insular media world where everyone's just talking to each other, because then you get more interesting and different story ideas and having passions outside of work and interests that that fuel you that will probably never actually influence your work right like I knit I'm probably never going to write about knitting (laughs) it's a little off-brand right I mean it's weird and it's quirky so (laughs) (laughs) but like it's an old lady thing and I'm well I am kind of I'm either I'm either 22 or 82 I don't know which one but (laughs) somewhere in between Somewhere in between is where I actually am. But. <laughs> um, throughout all the stories you've told and all the people that you've met, what's one story that stuck with you? The one that I typically always go back to when people ask this question is one that just influenced me personally. I think I told it well, and I really enjoyed like the writing of it, but the actual reporting of it was really, really impactful for me. So mm. my... And it's funny because it was when I was an intern, right? My first summer at the Journal Sentinel as an intern, I was helping out with a series on youth gun violence mm-hmm. called Precious Lives, which was uh, the Journal Sentinel was working on it and 371 Productions was working on it and WUWM. And the story that we were doing was about this guy who ran Barbershop Mondays is what it was called. So kids from neighborhoods that... I had never gone to before, right? I'd lived in the city for five years, had never gone to these parts of town um, in the 53206 zip code, right? Has the kids come, they get a free haircut, and then he leads this intergenerational dialogue between the barbers, who are mostly, you know, 30s and 40s, and these, you know, teens-ish, right? And the moment that really, really stuck out to me, and that was really important that I wrote into this piece because 
it was such an impactful moment for me. I wanted everyone else to hear it too was, you know, the guy leading the workshop. He asked the kids, what, what do they want to be when they grow up? And they don't know. Right. And he goes, well, like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do when you're my age? What, who, who think, and then this guy, this kid is just like, we're not going to live to be as old as you because we're going to get shot. That's insane. Right. And this kid was, I think, 12. I'd have to fact check myself. But to hear him just say, like, I'm not going to live to be 40 or whatever. And just to understand the mindset that then that would give you for how you deal with life every single day, thinking that everything was pretty temporary. Right. And when you're not in those circumstances, and that's not your reality. It's difficult to it's difficult to understand that until you're really confronted with it, right? Um, and so for me, that was like such a poignant reminder of like you how much there is to know about how other people see the world. It is insane. Yeah, like, you know, I grew up in suburban Minnesota, and that was so far from my reality, right? Like, people were asking me what I wanted to be when I grew up from the time I was in kindergarten, right? It was always assumed that I would go to college. It was always assumed that I would become a professional and live a long and healthful life. That's so fascinating to me. Um, that's a crazy story. Like that, that's, and I, I resonate with one cause I like, I grew up in the inner city and like I was around a lot of violence for like the early parts of my life. Um, luckily like I got out and everything and like I'm here, but like, it's crazy how one we project on other people, but two, we just don't realize that people don't live the lives that we live. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, inc- that's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had just, one of his very best friends who was 12 had just been shot by a cousin yes. and died. So like, it was like very present in his mind to think that way too. As you're hearing like these stories and like a lot of violence and whatever everyone says about Milwaukee, that's negative. Like why, why do you push so much positivity? Why are you like so in love with Milwaukee? So I think I often get frustrated with Milwaukee, right? Because it wants to have this chip on its shoulder. It wants to be, it is always, it's constantly comparing itself and is always, at least from my vantage point, it seems like it's always trying to chase after new and hot things that are elsewhere, right? And I'm just always like, okay. If you're trying to be something that you're not, it's never going to work, right? It's just like trying to project an image that isn't you, right? Like, or wearing, like, trends that don't necessarily actually fit who you are or listening to music that you don't actually like. Like, It's not ever actually going to work. You just have to embrace what you are and grow from that. I think Milwaukee has a lot to offer. It's a very neat, small city. And... Friends who come and visit here who live elsewhere often 
are a little envious just because of the ease of life here, which is often my biggest selling point. I'm like, it's really easy to live here, right? Like I walked over here from the Journal Sentinel offices. I often don't like, it's really easy. (laughs) I work like a mile from my house, right? It's easy. It is. And it's a good city. What's it? What do you think that instead of focusing on other, instead of focusing on what we should be, what do you think we should focus on? What's that story that we should be telling or stories? Mm-hmm. It's really difficult for me to identify like one thing, like if Milwaukee focused more of its energies on X, we would be doing better. Right. Um, because one thing that like came up in the newsroom recently And it was sparked by the Light the Hone initiative, Mm -hmm. which is cool, right? Like when they did the little test and seeing that bridge being light up, that would be cool as like a beacon for the city, right? But what someone else in the newsroom was bringing up was saying, I have a really hard time trying to support this cause where they're trying to raise millions to put lights on this bridge when there are so many irretractable social ills happening in the city that really need resources to. And so it's kind of like there's a little bit of a a balance that needs to happen while I think there are so many stories of what is happening and growing and supporting the city. We can't can't forget about people who aren't involved in that or haven't been brought into it or are getting left behind, right? Because that's – if we're only lifting up one half of the scale, it's only going to further tip it in their favor, right? Um, so I don't think I have an answer to your question. What are some actionable things to change that, though? To change... Us wanting to do X but not supporting Z. Because there's a big divide. Mm-hmm. Like, even, like, if I just look at, like, the creative community or, like, the entrepreneur community, right? Like, everybody's stuck in their little silos and no one's communicating. So, for me, I would say, like, we need to talk to each other. Like, that's that's the biggest thing for me. Get out of our silos and communicate. But what actionable things would you say? I think if I had real actionable <laughs> initiatives that I would suggest, I probably would have been in politics and not a reporter, right? <laughs> I feel that respect. (laughs) Right? Like if I thought I had answers, like my problem is always that I have more questions. Like I don't, usually I identify everything that's problematic and everything that's. I mean, that's good. Whatever. Questions are all answers. I don't don't have an answer. (laughs) No, that's fine. Um, So like with the rise of like Snapchat and Instagram and um, like just innovation in general, like. AR, VR, like all these um, new technologies, like just news in general has changed. Where do you see it going and how are you prepping yourself as a person, as a brand for that, for those changes? I think one of my biggest strengths right now is that I have been throughout my entire life floating from platform to platform and figuring out how they work and what to do. And that's been just part of my life, right? Like I remember as a kid figuring out how AIM worked and like what kind of a way message do you want to have and what's like Do they like call the, it AIM? 
Like that was actually how they pronounce it. Sorry. Well, I think AIM or AIM. I think I don't know. I've cool never heard it. Called it AIM. Okay, I wasn't cool. I was I, also like two, so I wasn't cool either. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> so, like you know, on there, that was like a presence that you needed to figure out how to have, yeah. right? And then MySpace and Facebook and all the things down the road, and so. There's always going to be a new platform, right? And so to me, I don't want to get too attached to any one specific one because I know that it'll change. Um, But one thing that I am working hard to do is to be able to adapt, right? And figure out different ways of storytelling so that you can then mold your work into those different platforms, right? Because you're not going to tell the same story the same way in the printed Journal Sentinel, right? Like that is one specific place. Then, you know, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, those are all different. And so to be actively thinking about how are how does this work? How do how do I make it work? And sometimes it is that you know I might write a story for thinking this is going to be a good one to share on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like I'll also share it on Instagram probably too. But like there'll be that active processing of you know historically we would have written it this way for the printed newspaper, but I think I'll serve them something that. I would probably click on on Twitter. Yeah. Right. So thinking about different ways to tell stories, everything, it doesn't have to be an inverted pyramid or, uh, you know, long form narrative thing, because I might not like, let's be real. I do TLDR all the time. Right. So like, if I'm not holding my own attention. I'm over it. Um, But the main thing is really understanding those elements of storytelling and what makes a good story because those are transferable skills to anywhere, right? I was just talking with my editor because he's been doing some adjunct teaching and so we were talking Mm -hmm. about working with students and working with them on their writing in particular and talking about how so much his students want to lean into a more casual style of writing or lean into a more academic-sounding style of writing, right? But the writing chops aren't there yet to really do either very well. Yeah. And to be able, what's kind of crazy is to be able to do really good, you know, loose and conversational writing, you really have to know the rules of writing so that you can know how to break them, right? Because unless you really understand how the parts of speech work and how people talk and how you can use words to to make something happen. It doesn't... Understand the rules before you break them. Yes. No, which is any artist. Yeah. Which, you know, it doesn't sound as fun, but, like, you have to put in your time writing a million quick cop briefs because that'll... That gives you just experience, 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 repeat, 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 do it, do it, do it before like 
you can try really doing something else. Yeah. No, I love that. I'm going to go back to something you said just briefly. Um, you said one adaptability, but also two, like I'm not relying on one platform and there's this thing like owned media versus rented media. And I think anyone that like all platforms like YouTube, um, Instagram, Snapchat, it doesn't matter. Like that's all rented media because somebody else owns it any day. Like they could flop or they could pull the plug, but your own website, your own um, brand, like that's something that you own. You're going to own it forever because it's yours. So it's crucial for us and anyone really to build that. But again, like that adaptability is crucial. So I love that. And I commend you for that because it's rad and I'm super, super excited about the future. I won't rant on it, um, but it, what is, what's in store for you in the future? What are you excited about now that you're working on? What am I excited about now that I'm working on? Well, so one thing that I absolutely love doing and it's growing and it's fabulous is my newsletter, which is called the MKE, which touches in on that, like point of Milwaukee pride where, you know, like don't be anything else, just be Milwaukee is a little bit of my mantra in there where we're just embracing who we are and sure we have beer and cheese cards, but like we're so much more than that. So much more than beer and cheese cards. We're so much more than that, (laughs) but like, don't get me wrong. I love those things. Right. So it's like, it's a yes and in a little bit, but that's a place where I'm delivering a new product right? To speak in like more business terms, like I'm a, I've brought a new product to market. I've repackaged what we normally do because the Journal Sentinel creates so much content that it's hard to find what you want sometimes. Yeah. Right. And so what I do is I read everything that we publish and then curate like as a service, right? Into a digestible format. What I think is what young people are going to be most interested in that week. And so business news, restaurant news, beer news, and then stuff that you're going to want, like conversation piece stories, right, that are going to spark people. And that's a newsletters aren't new, right? But that doing the work for you kind of here's what you need to know a little bit more chunky and digestible and whatever like that that's new for news organizations to think about right because the way people who work in newsrooms right they love to read the news and so they're like what do you mean that you don't want to read every single story in the newspaper (laughs) and I'm like you know what I probably wouldn't if this wasn't my job because I understand how, you know, being a well-informed human and reading stories that you might not necessarily like innately be interested in is good to further your own knowledge, right? But at the same time, you just want to know what's interesting to you. Yep. Um, but so it's the it's the fastest growing newsletter at the Journal Sentinel, which is exciting. Um, and having good open and click through rates, which is also exciting, which is huge. (laughs) And like what's exciting for me in a way is that, you know, I have more people who subscribe, like way more people who subscribe to my newsletter than follow me on any social channel. Right. Which that's in owned media, right? Like we own that, that list. It's not like me blasting my stuff on Instagram and Twitter. So it's awesome, dude. And congrats. And you're making it easy for people. 
which is what I want, which is what we want. So that's awesome. Lastly, um, before like I ask you like where people can find you, what makes you a misfit? What about you goes against the grain? Besides your dog and beer. I know. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. Like I'm, I really align with like that misfit mantra, right? And I think part of that is because as a reporter, you always view yourself as a little bit on the outside, right? And like not really like belonging to anything, right? Because you're the observer over on the corner. You're not like actively doing anything, right? Like you write about stuff that happens to other people for a living. And so I think in that way that like automatically casts you as like a little bit of an outsider in a way. And I don't know. I remember in college, we called ourselves the misfits because all my (laughs) friends, like there was no like rhyme or reason with like, there were no like clear lines to draw between us. And I would say that for like most of my friend groups is that there aren't like super clear lines to draw between them, except for like interest in the world and like, wanting to go out and do cool stuff. Right. And like, <laughs> that's me. I'm like, you're weird and you're quirky. I dig it. Weird and I'm quirky. <laughs> and your I dog knit. likes beer. My dog likes beer. That's all that matters. That's all you need. It really is. And right? you tell stories. Yes. <laughs> I run too. That's my, Oh, I thing. did see you running one time. I did yes. like a couple months ago. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, where should people check you out? Where should people follow you? Definitely subscribe to the newsletter, but where else? Yeah, so my newsletter can be found at jsonline.com slash bmke. And then I am on Twitter and Instagram. My Twitter is at Sarah Hauer. My Instagram is at Hauer Sarah. Oh, that's trippy. I know. (laughs) Sarah Hauer was taken on Instagram, and so I had to pick something. Is the other one taken on Twitter? I haven't actually looked. I could make it consistent. (laughs) I have worried about my consistency in terms of like it making it easy for people to find me, but. (laughs) You're a misfit. It's all right. I'm a misfit. I do what I want, you know? Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming out. Thank you for having me, Q. Thank you guys again for tuning into today's episode. Sarah was incredible. Feel free to check out her info in the description below or any of our other content around me. 